Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us. Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe. I lead Ember Faith Community here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Hi, I'm Allison Spooner, and I'm the pastor at Faith Emmanuel and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace, and I'm a PhD student in Bible and Cultures at Drew University. For this season of the podcast, we will be taking a look at the book of Ephesians, one of several New Testament texts attributed to the Apostle Paul. We will be talking about the uniqueness of the letter as a medium for scripture and what ancient letters like Ephesians might have to say to us about God's work in the world today. Thanks for tuning in. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This chapter, like the last chapter, like the subsequent chapters, um, seems to speak directly to Gentiles. So what is a Gentile? Well, the word actually means nation or nations which is, I, th- I think, important um, to point out. So anytime when it, when it says the Gentiles, it could also e- just as easily be translated the nations, meaning any nation that is not Israel. Yeah, so why that's important, though, is specifically in Ephesians 2, there's so much language about um, the stranger and the outsider now being adopted in and being included um, so that this division between um, Jews and Gentiles, between Israel and the rest of the world is being broken down um, in a way that is radically inclusive. So what might be helpful for some historical context and just to make this a little bit more clear um, in this chapter two where they're talking about Jews and Gentiles um, they're referred to as those who were previously called the uncircumcision and those who were called the circumcision those are those two groups so if you are um, an Israelite if you're a Jewish person the mark of that if you're a man is that you're circumcised um, usually on the eighth day that you're alive but the Gentiles um, were not circumcised, so there, hence the whole uncircumcision co- conversation, uh, which apparently, after some, a little bit of research here from our Ember team, the Greek says uh, those who were called the foreskinned <laughs> versus those who were called the circumcision, which actually makes more sense as, an, as a burn. Because it is a burn. I think, too, one of the things that strikes me about this passage about those who are outside or those who are inside or um, those who are circumcised and those who are not is that 
it's talking about these things kind of in opposition to each other as insider and outsider. And it would be easy to think, oh, the Jews had access to God and now someone's bringing God to the Gentiles. But I think in reality, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. I mean, what it's really saying is that for those that are near and those that are far, not those who are without God and those who have God. Um, but there's this kind of underlying idea that God is already always with everyone. That's a really good point. And there's also this idea with so much of the writing that we have as our like New Testament canon, when we talk about that, a lot of the conversations and the letters are talking about things that were live debates. At the time of the writing of this, there were there were believers who were more Jewish in their practice and their orientation and how they they kind of were in the world. Like they saw themselves as as Hebrews and largely staying with the traditions of Israel. And that included religious practice. And there were a whole lot of people that were becoming Christian and following the teachings of Jesus that never had been part of the people of Israel. And how do you reconcile those two people groups who had such radically different experiences of what it meant to be in the world as well as what it meant to worship? I mean, in our own time, there it's, it's still a live debate in some churches. Do we sing hymns or do we play Christian contemporary music? Which seems like a weird argument to have, but that stuff matters a whole lot. And when we think about some of the debates about there are churches that are leaving denominations over whether or not to include LGBTQ folk in like their ordination candidacies and like whose marriages we're going to bless, whether you're pro or con. So it, I don't think it's that hard for us to see how like one, there should be like a call to unity or drawing people together or what it means to be in the body of Christ together. Yeah, our issues are different, but the uh, way they present themselves is not totally alien from right. the situation of this letter. But within the context, like it, we really have to remember, like this isn't this isn't a Christians versus Jews text. This is a this is an early Christian community that had some very different parts of it that were trying to figure out what it meant to be part of the community together. And, like, how do we navigate it? Like, do we hold to these old traditions that we've held for centuries as the people of Israel? And when people come into this Christian context, are they also signing on for that? Or are we talking about something entirely different? Like, there's, there's some negotiation that's happening about what it means to be in community here. And I think even using the word Christian might be overstating the issue a little bit. I mean you get from this text that there is Israel and there is everybody else. There are the Jews and there are everybody else. There isn't this notion of we're a new community. We're a brand new thing. We are Christians. And that's somehow different from this heritage that we come from, um, which can be kind of a hard thing to wrap your mind around when we get taught all the time that like, this is the Christian Testament, which I think is completely deceptive in a lot of ways. It's a, it's a lot muddier and a lot more complicated than just saying, oh, Jesus died, now we have Christians. Yeah. That's not maybe how they would, self would have self-identified. We're benefiting from centuries of kind of sorting through what that identity means to be a Christian. But you're right. I mean, 
at ground zero when all this was happening people were just trying to figure out what was going on and there are people who still think of themselves as Jewish in practice and belief but this Jesus guy showed up and we believe he's the Messiah so what does that mean for us and especially what does that mean now that we have people who don't understand our traditions that are showing up and also want to follow Jesus yeah it's a time of transition I think at, at its core yeah and I think in liminality like in spaces like this where things aren't quite set in stone and you're wanting to be inclusive in the ways that we want to be inclusive um, but we have this baggage of tradition and this baggage of um, what the scripture says in some cases that may look like it wants you to be exclusionary and the ways in which the, the texts get weaponized to do just that mm-hmm. um, that makes kind of the question of unity com- more complicated than I think anybody really gives it credit for um, it's it's not easy to to be in community with people whose you know day-to-day life choices don't line up with yours we tend to congregate with the people that live life in similar patterns to us so trying to live in an intentional community that's bringing together people people of disparate cultures and and disparate ideas about who God is and what God wants for their lives is complicated even on the best day. Mm-hmm. Then and now. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're talking about Gentiles um, and this letter being sort of directed towards a largely Gentile community, I think that's where we've landed on it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm looking at the very beginning of chapter two, um, talking about, um, it says, you were dead in trespasses and sins, um, following the prince of the power of the air, whatever that means. Um, and specifically, we all once lived in the pas- passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Is that what it says in the, the desires of the flesh and senses? We were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. Yeah. And I think so. I have a couple thoughts about. I have many thoughts about this. Um, yes, go f- go for it. In in part, it's worth noting that this. Uh, adoption language is also coupled with child language um, and also that this child language like be like children or don't be like children comes up again and again on both sides of the fence for example here we have children of wrath we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else Um, which has implications for who humanity is what humanity is capable of Um, it is a kind of counter to the early Genesis narrative of you were created good. Okay, well, if we're not good now, if we're children of wrath, what happened? Um, And the idea that flesh and passions are somehow tied to being children of wrath is something I struggle with. um, And I think it's complicated because it's used in harmful ways. And it also divorces us from ourselves and the way that we are actually embodied in the world. 
Um, especially given the fact that we believe in a resurrection of the body and not just of the spirit. Yeah, there was somewhere I was going to go with this. That, yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's where people's heads go a lot of time when we talk about the, just the word passion like brings to mind i don't know tango dancers or something Romance like that <laughs> sure yeah well, in popular culture when we hear like passions of the flesh that's only like a step removed from pleasures of the flesh but we're not also thinking about how like there are other ways in which being embodied can be problematic right like yeah like in our when we met as a worshiping community one of the things that i remember you talking about spoon was this idea that like anger could be part of that too like we'll have a negative emotional response and like if we just kind of act on that and we don't filter it or try and um transmute that into something that's like more socially acceptable or healthier or on a higher level something that's more kind like what does that say yeah, I do remember that because now from where from where I've sat with this text for a little bit, that's what I think uh, makes more sense of the direction of where it's going rather than um, rather than in a sexual direction. But in a like, you know, we we have a lot of different passions and sometimes being passionately angry is called for and sometimes it's incredibly unhelpful. Um. Yeah, I think there's a call to more discernment. Yeah. And when we're talking about living in community, I mean, one of the challenges of living in community, especially a community where everything isn't quite settled and there is a lot of variance in terms of belief and practice, like we're going to come into some friction. And if we ultimately have a longer view about staying together and being loving, there are more or less caring and kind ways to point out, hey, the thing that you're doing right here is actually harming other people or you're not your best self or you're not living into our aspirations as a group. There are more discerning ways to engage in conversation to figure out too, like where do we want to go? What do we want to be? And when we're thinking about like how we fit into the group, I think it's easier to stick to something that looks more like uh, healthy unity like it doesn't mean that we agree all the time it just means that we are more careful about the way that we are with each other we're faithful to and each civil other. i th- i think also though i think what i would like to come out of our conversation is like a balance between those ideas of like there's something that's important that's being said here about you know just not just um doing whatever feels right in the moment and at the same time not um, putting that as though our bodies are evil and going to cause us to do terrible things. Um, Yeah. Well, and what happens if we think about passions as like reckless exercises of power? Like in in the sense that okay, if if you're giving yourself over to the passions of the flesh what it, we can debate whatever that you know really means thinking about stoic notions of the passions and the body is the thing that brings you down um thinking about passions as like a reckless exercise of power implicates not just kind of the sexual things that happen to you or the emotional things that happen to you but also the ways in which 
you inflict inflict your flesh on somebody else, whether that be in terms of um, household relations, whether that be in terms of um, economic relations. That I mean, there's international international relations, warfare. Um, I don't know. It's not a fully formed thought, but no, I think that was that is very important thing to remember. But I do think on some level, this text, given the kind of milieu it's produced in, is probably thinking about passions of the flesh as as things that your body does. Hmm. As much as we might, or I might want to say, no, you're not a spirit and a body, you're a self, and your self is composed of an, an inseparable body and spirit. I will never know what it means to exist only as spirit or only as body. These things are intimately connected. And if we're thinking of crea- of of humanity and creation as created good, I think that your body is a site of good and a site of God and a site of uh, passion in a positive sense. Mm-hmm. It's incarnational, if you will. So I think what we've unpacked from this is that that little piece of this letter just is is heavy it heavy with nuance of what the original intent was what the people would have heard how it's been interpreted over centuries and centuries and also how it sounds to us now yeah i think too one of the things that's helpful is like, we can't really control what we feel, which is, I think, part yeah. of the reason why it's uncomfortable to talk about passions. So it's going to happen. And I think it's it's interesting to me that in most translations, what comes at the end of that very same paragraph is that it's not anything that we do that makes it work and makes it right and redeems the whole thing. It's the faithfulness of Jesus. And I think... Like, for me, what's so hopeful about that is, despite all of my shortcomings and my inability to hold to my highest aspirations for, like, even a second, like, it's not about that. Like, it's the faith of Christ that's doing it. And that takes a lot of the pressure off me to, like, make it right every time. At the same time, it's also... um, it's also convicting. Like, I, I want to live into a better reality, even though I, I can't quite. And I think the recognition that, like, if, if, I can't, if I can't be my best self at any given moment, but I'm trying, that gives me a lot more room to be around and forgive other people who, if I assume that they, too, are trying their best and maybe not always succeeding, that, that makes... Forgiveness and grace, something that's much more, um, that feels a lot more attainable than if I have to try and live like this perfect life and if everyone else has to live a perfect life. Like, I mean, it's the kind of grace that requires response. Like, if, if it's already done, if we're already saved, if we're already brought together in wholeness, if the walls have already been taken down, then what are we doing trying to maintain something that's false that's already been accomplished the only thing we're doing is getting in our own way yeah the the way that we 
bring the kingdom to come even here and even now is through living out this kind of like radical inclusivity and radical unity which is already the truth which is already the truth yeah Yeah. which has already begun already been accomplished alleluia amen (laughs) (laughs) this week we invite you to consider what it might mean to live as though the walls that divide us have already been broken down As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you. The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe. Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2019.